You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, friends, would you join with me? Take a Bible, if you brought one with you, take one from the seat back in front of you and open it up to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. We're going to consider Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 23 today. You know, I grew up uh, watching a lot of movies that were classic fairy tales, I think we could say. A lot of them were Disney movies, but we all know the classic fairy tales, the maybe different heroes, maybe different villains, maybe different uh, problems that people need to get through, but generally fairy tales start and end the same way. They all start in the same way, and you probably know it. Once upon a time, right? And there are different heroes, different villains, different problems, but fairy tales always end the same way because everyone wants their fairy tale ending and they lived happily ever after, right? Everyone's got their own story that they're they're living too. We've got our own story that's very different, like fairy tales are different. You grew up probably in a way that was different from me. I grew up in a way that was different from you. I've had different trials than you've had. You've experienced different suffering that I haven't had. In the book of Colossians, we've seen from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, that Christ is unfolding the story of the world and bringing everything back to its happily ever ending. God created in Christ everything and it was good, sin broke it, but God is restoring the created order of the universe back under his authority, and this is true. We each have our own life stories. We each once were in also the distress of sin individually, just as the created order was in the distress of sin. And we each, by faith in Jesus, can be restored back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. The same thing that Christ is doing with the whole of created order, he is doing for those of us who have put their faith in him. And I believe that today can start a new chapter for many of us in the story that God is unfolding in our lives. I've been praying very specifically, very particularly this week, about the change that God can bring in your life today. I've been praying with the staff, praying prayers of faith, of the dramatic shift that God can bring in you who may be in distress, may be worry, and may be longing for change. I believe that for many of us, today can be that day. Will it be for you? The same sun that melts the snow also hardens the clay. This isn't a message that you're hearing that someone, you think someone else needs to hear. This is a message that I need to hear. This is a message that you need to hear. And I believe if that you will listen to God's word and trust it as God's word, then God can make a change in your life that you've been hoping for and longing for for years if you will receive it with faith and humility. What new chapter can God start in your story today? Well, I believe the idea of the message is this. The idea of God's word in Colossians 1, 21 to 23 is this. 
If Christ has changed your life, then embrace your new purpose and persevere. If Christ has changed your life, then embrace your new purpose and persevere. Well, as we do, let's stand for the reading of God's word now. Let's stand and read Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 23. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Verse 21. And you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you for the change that you can bring in our lives through Jesus Christ. We who were once alienated can become your friends. We can have a new purpose we can stand firm in hope. But Father, I know my own life. I know that in my own life, Lord, I fall so short of what your purpose is for me. I know that I can shift from hope and become discouraged and weary. And God, I pray that your grace and your mercy and your new life would come to us today like the spring rain that waters the earth and brings new life. God, would you come to us today? Would you speak life to us through your word? Would you speak life to me? And would you revive us so that we might live before you, Father? God, cause us to listen with humility, with faith, not thinking of someone else who needs to hear this word, but thinking how we need to hear this word and start new chapters and new stories in our lives today, please, in Jesus' name, amen. If your life has changed in Christ, if Christ has changed your life, then, church, embrace your new purpose and persevere. We're gonna ask three questions to help us understand this idea that's from Colossians 1 to, uh, to that we can grasp the truth a bit more. Here's the first question that we can ask. Uh, how? How has Christ changed us? If you're a follower of Christ, how has Christ changed you? Well, Christ has changed our life because we have been welcomed as his friends. We are changed Christians because Christ has welcomed us as his friends. Look at the text again, verse 21. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Each of us had our once upon a time. Once upon a time when we were in distress, when we were in sin, when we are separated from God. But each of us can have our moment of now. Now we are welcomed as friends. See, Christian, before you were in Christ, you were the same as Paul said of these Colossians. Just like me, Christian, you were once alienated and hostile in mind. Alienated is a word similar to the idea of a foreign stranger from a different nation. 
alien like a, like a foreigner, like Canadians and Americans might seem alike, but they're actually aliens to each other, not UFO aliens, right? Even though the states can really feel like that sometimes. They're aliens like they're foreigners. We live similar cultures, but we aren't a foreign nation to them. But we were alienated from God. We were formed from God, not like a close countries like United States and Canada, but we were alienated from God in the way maybe that the Soviet Union was alienated and foreign to the United States during the Cold War. See, it says in the passage that you were once alienated and hostile in mind. Hostile. Enemies of a foreign state completely opposed to each other in every way. See, when it says hostile in mind, it doesn't mean that you're hostile just in your thinking. This word mind in the original language that the Apostle Paul wrote in conveys the idea of your disposition. Your whole self, head to toe, heart to mind, word and deed before Christ, Christian, everything in us was hostile to God and that expressed itself that we did we were doing evil deeds evil deeds conduct that was contrary and contradictory to who God is defined every breath we took and every decision we made evil before God that was me before Christ that was you before Christ the good news is that's what we once were, but that's, Christian, not what you are now. In Christ, we are welcomed as friends through the death of Jesus. You see, the gospel, the good news that Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sins, this good news is the peace treaty. It's the peace treaty that ends the war and provided a path to citizenship for us so that we could leave the enemy state and be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Christian, if you are in Christ, you are now welcomed as a friend. And Paul brought this up to the Colossians so that they could have gratitude, so that it would inspire thanksgiving to God for how he has changed their lives. Christian, I wonder what you were like before you believed in Christ. Jesus, when he came from heaven to earth, he interacted with a lot of people. He stepped into a lot of different people's lives, a lot of different people who lived in a lot of different ways. He stepped into the lives of people who were sinners and hostile to him, and they were shame-filled sinners. I think of the people that Jesus met, like the prostitute Mary Magdalene, or the tax collector Zacchaeus. Both of these two chose conducts and lifestyles that were openly and publicly shameful. A tax collector was authorized to collect the taxes from people, but everyone knew they were taking a little more than they were supposed to and putting it in their own pocket. Everyone hated tax collectors, but Christ welcomed Zacchaeus as a friend. Mary Magdalene slept around. Shame filled her life, but Christ welcomed prostitutes when others wanted to condemn them. Christian, maybe before Christ, you lived a life that was so filled with shame that everywhere you went, it felt like every eye was on you and judging you. Christian, if you're in, because you believed in Jesus, that's not your story anymore. 
you don't need to be burdened by shame because Christ took the burden of your shame when he died in your place on the cross. And you are liberated. And you are free from shame and free from guilt. And God looks at you as a friend. And he loves you. But maybe some of you before Christ were more like me. You weren't a shame-filled sinner. You were a self-righteous sinner. You were the type of people who looked down to the tax collectors. You were the type of people who were judging the prostitutes because you thought that your life met a level and met a standard that people just can't meet up to and that they needed to get on your level and that you were on a level that you met so that because of your work, you earned your way and God was pleased with you. But like me, you recognized no matter how hard I try, I still fall short of the glory of God. No matter how hard I try, all of my righteousness in the eyes of God are just filthy rags. Well, Christian, if that was you, have hope. Take heart. The pressure is off because Christ fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law in your place so that even though you fall short with even your best efforts and all your good works, you still fall short, but Christ fulfilled everything you couldn't do. And what he did is now credited to your account. The pressure's off. You're free. You're no longer, amen, thank you, Jesus. You are no longer an enemy. You are no longer hostile. You're no longer a foreigner. You're welcomed as a friend. But some of you are here today and maybe you were invited to church and you're not really familiar with Christianity or you're just trying to learn more about this, and you're kind of a little off-put by the preacher using these words, really, you're calling me an enemy? You're calling me hostile? I don't think I hate God. You're calling people evil in their deeds by nature? Aren't people generally good? I've had a lot of conversations with people who think this way about the world. Maybe that's you. And what I've found is that generally... People who think that people are generally good generally don't really want to believe what the Bible says about God. They don't want to think about God as the holy and awesome creator of the world who also judges all things. They don't want to think about God as the standard of right and wrong because he is perfectly righteous and just. I found that people like this, they just want God to be like their fun uncle right? You probably know the stereotypical fun uncle. The uncles, your uncle's uh, an authority figure. You know they're an adult and you got to listen to them. um, But but your uncle, he really only shows up as an authority occasionally. He only really shows up probably at your birthday when he gives you a gift. You like your fun uncle. And even though you do something wrong that you know your parents would say you can't do that, your fun uncle's really not going to say no to that. And people who generally think about God in this way generally think that sin is not like what it actually is in the scriptures, a spiritual crime against a holy God for breaking his perfect law that deserves to be punished. No, sins, our wrongdoings aren't like that. No, our wrongdoings are really just um, mischief on the path to fun, right? Like, um, like a teen boy who, when he gets his G2, his dad gives him a Lambo. And he puts the foot down wherever he goes, and he knows he's always breaking the law. And even one time, he saw the lights in his rearview mirror, but he outran that cop. 
And things are yeah, I know I should have done that, but it was so much fun. But maybe the teen forgot, because he just got his G2, that there's like red light cameras everywhere. And even though you thought you got away with what you know what is wrong, the summons is in the mail. And you will stand before the judge. Friend, you may have numbed your conscience to convince yourself that what you know you're doing is wrong isn't wrong, but the summons is in your mail. And God could require your life of you tonight. Friend, let me ask you, if you stood before the judgment seat of God today, what defense would you give for your crimes against him? What defense would you give? You would be guilty, just like I am guilty, just like all of us are guilty. Aren't we Christians? The only case we have to be forgiven is that someone else was willing to take the price and the penalty in our place. Jesus suffered the cost for your sin so that you could be saved from your sin to enjoy eternal life with God. So friend, no more bargaining with God. No more I'll do better. No more minimizing sin. No more thinking of God as a fun uncle. Today is the day for forgiveness. If you know you are guilty, then look to your Savior. Believe in Jesus today and you will be forgiven today. And when you stand before God, you will have a case that you are innocent because Christ died in your place. Believe now. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that he died in your place. Turn for your sin and embrace that he's the only way and you will be received as a friend. You will be forgiven. You may have once been an enemy, but you will be received as a friend. Believe and you will be saved. Today can be a new, not just a new chapter, today can start a completely new story of your life where you finally know what it means to truly be human because you've been restored back to the perfect human Jesus Christ. Believe and you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Believe. And Christian, you know, if you know you are saved, give thanks because you are no longer an enemy. You are a friend. If Christ has changed your life, then embrace your new purpose and persevere. How can we embrace our new purpose? See, maybe you just put your faith in Jesus or you're ready to put your faith in Jesus today and you want to know, what is my purpose if I believe in Jesus? Or maybe you've been following Jesus for years and decades and right now you feel lost and you've totally forgotten what your purpose is and you feel like life has no meaning and you know you believe but you don't even know why you believe. Maybe you feel more like a hot air balloon that's just, you know there's a destination that you want to go to, but you're completely at the whims of the wind where it pushes you. That's not the way the Christian needs to live. No, God has given a purpose. God has given us a purpose like a train on one, a track's going to one destination. There's one stop, there's one route, there's one track, and I'm going this way. Do you feel like the hot air balloon right now, Christian? What is our purpose? God's word tells us in Colossians chapter one. Turn your eyes back to the scripture with me. It says, verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, 
doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? Or for what reason? In order, this is the purpose. You want to know what the track is? You want to know what the purpose is? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What's your purpose, Christian? What is your new purpose that you need to embrace? Pursue God with a heart of purity. This is your new purpose. Pursue God with a heart of purity. Because you've been reconciled to God. Because he's brought you back to relationship with him. Enjoy his relationship in him. Because you've been purchased by the blood of Christ. So glorify God in your body. Writer and pastor Kent Hughes said it like this. Fellow believers, in light of our reconciliation, we ought to do everything in our power, everything in our power to become practically blameless and holy in this life. Practical holiness should be our life's business. Is it yours? See, let me help you understand a little bit more what about, about what it means to pursue God with a pure heart. Look back at the text, verse 22. Notice the words, in order to present. Do you see those words? What does it mean to present ourselves to God? Well, I want to show you two passages of Scripture that use this word, presenting yourself, and you'll understand the context a little bit more. Here's the first verse. It's 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The next one's very familiar. It's Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Presenting yourself to God is offering your entire body and life as an act of worship. You might have sung that song, Worthy is Your Name, with your mouth. Are you living it with your life? You've been bought with a price. You are not your own, so glorify God in your body. God wants you to offer yourself as an offering to him. And God doesn't want a cheap offering. Remember Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve? Cain offered just the cheap things that he had. Abel offered a pleasing offering. Abel's was accepted and Cain's was not. And Abel was angry. Why why, why didn't you accept me? Because he put no work into his worship. God doesn't just want your songs. God wants your heart and God wants your life and God wants your conduct. He wants you to worship him with your life. Pursue God with a pure heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Worship is your new purpose and your whole life is the offering that you bring to God. Now, this word worship is a very religious word. But if we take it out of its religious connotations, we can understand a little bit more about how you can present yourself in worship. I tried to live healthy and eat well. Well, I try. The the pizza I had Friday night probably disagreed with the one or two extra slices that I didn't need to eat. But I do try and eat healthy. While I really, for a while, like six months or so, um, not too long ago, I just had fruit smoothies for breakfast. 
And that was good. That was very helpful for my calories and diet. But one thing I've never gotten into in health is juicing. Never gotten to juicing. I've seen all the infomercials for juicers. They're really funny. Maybe you've been like uh, compelled by them. Wow, I can get all of those vitamins for only 15 carats? Oh, it seems like a lot of work for a little bit of result, you know? Just only put 17 kiwis and you'll get one glass of kiwi juice. Wow, only 17 kiwi. I'm, I'm exaggerating, right? But the idea is that like there are good things in fruit and vegetables and then there are some things that have less value and you just want the best. So juice out just the best. This word worship has a religious connotation, but if we juiced out the word worship so that the religiosity of it was removed and the action remained, I think we'd see that everyone is actually a worshiper. See, I think if you juiced the word worship, the action that remains is celebrate. It's really what worship is. It's celebration. And I believe that Every human being is celebrating something, something of excellence. I think it's in the human heart to want to celebrate excellence because when we celebrate excellent things, we get joy from it. We can celebrate things by enjoying an excellent thing, like a person who really likes luxury cars. So they don't buy luxury cars, they lease luxury cars. And they don't just put the luxury car in their uh, in their garage, but they drive it everywhere because they want to enjoy the luxury of this excellent car and they want everyone to know that they drive an excellent luxury car. It's celebrating that. It's getting joy out of it. We can celebrate through enjoyment. We can celebrate through recognition, right? That's why sports leagues like the NFL and the NBA and the NHL have big galas at the end of their season when it's over and present trophies to the most excellent players. That's why they give MVP awards, most valuable prayers, players. They recognize by having this unblemished, beautiful trophy to present it, to recognize the most excellent person. And we get joy out of watching these people play. But Christian, we're all celebrating something but there's nothing and no one more excellent than God. And what that means is there's nothing and no one that can give us such joy in celebrating it than when we celebrate, than when we worship God. If you're not worshiping God with your life, you're worshiping something. You're worshiping your achievement level in gaming. Or maybe you're worshiping the degree and the next degree and the job that comes from that degree. Or maybe you're worshiping that relationship. Or maybe you're worshiping your finances. Or maybe you are worshiping that luxury car. But God is worthy of all of our worship. And he doesn't want us to present ourselves to these things. He wants us to present ourselves to him. He wants us to be that beautiful unblemished trophy that we present to God. Not so that, wow, look how good that trophy is. But look how excellent that person is who deserves that trophy. God wants to transform you so that you are a trophy of his grace that recognizes his excellence. And so that everyone else recognizes it too. Are you presenting yourself as a trophy of grace to God? This is your purpose. This is our life's business. How can we do that? How can we present ourselves to God in purity? I feel so impure. 
Maybe you do too. You know the sin you still do, Christian. You know you're forgiven, but you know how you go back to that same sin. How can we turn from our sin? How can we really be pure? How can we really be holy and blameless and above reproach? Here are five actions that we need to take that will help us turn from our sin and walk in purity. Here's the first one, faith. Faith in the gospel. Every day you need to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel, Christian. Romans 8 verse 1. Remind yourself every day of Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Yes, you still sin, but you are not condemned in your sin. You are free from condemnation. The pressure is off. God loves you. He's received you. You don't need to work your way to him anymore. Believe what Christ has done. Have faith. Faith. And then this love. Love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Can you say that about your life right now? The way that you eat, the way that you drink, the way that you speak to your wife, the way that you handle your finances, the love of Christ controls us. Why? The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live in him might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and rose again. See, I will live my life and offer my life as purity as Christ when I love Christ more and I will love Christ more the, no, the more I recognize his love for me in the gospel. And the more you love Christ, the less you will love your sin and the more you will be pure. Faith in the gospel, love and abide. Faith, love, abide. John 15, verse seven and eight says, if you abide in me, Jesus speaking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified so that we, you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How are you gonna bear fruit? How are you gonna bear conduct in your life that is pure and that glorifies God? When you abide in the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? When he guards it according to his word. Prayer in the word of God every day. This is the way that we are connected to Christ and that his power can live through us. If we do not have this in our life, you are like a person trying to get Connected and to surf the internet with no data and no Wi-Fi. No power. But when we are connected to Christ through the word of God and through prayer, his life is lived through us and pure fruit would be born in us. Have faith, have love, abide, and then be wise. Be wise. You know, when I go to those sins that cling so closely to me, when I'm tempted, it's generally around the same time, in the same place, with the same people, at the same mood, with the same energy level. And it's probably the same for you. You know when you go to talk with those people at work or go and sit at that table in school, you know that when you're tired at the end of the day, these circumstances are like a black hole that sucks out all of our purity and sucks us into its sin. But wisdom is the discernment to recognize those things and avoid them at all costs. We need wisdom. 
but then we need this. And I would pause and say, without this last action, everything else will be vain. And if I were honest, I would say this is why the church is eroding at its foundations in Canada today. Because we do not have this last one. Without this last action, we will, I will not walk in purity. And it's this, the fear of God. We keep going back to our sin because we don't fear God. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. But you don't hate your sin, you actually love it. If you're a Christian and you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know the story of King David and Bathsheba, right? Bathsheba saw a beautiful and undressed woman on a rooftop and he wanted her. So he had her husband killed, took her and slept with her. After committing murder and adultery, was David convicted of a sin? Yeah, he was, but probably not till about a year later. How do we know it was about a year? Because the baby that was born from the woman that he slept with. A year after having a man killed and sleeping with his wife, and he doesn't feel bad about it at all. Christian, you may be carrying your sin around like the baby that you're nurturing. You may have given birth to so much wicked sin that God hates that you love as your own child. Don't make your bed in the sin that God hates. Christ didn't send his son to suffer his own wrath so that for sin so that you could continue in sin. If you've seen no change in your life, then the reason that you probably aren't is because you don't fear God. And the best thing that God can do to you is let you feel crushed under the weight of conviction. God sees every sin that I've committed. God sees everything that you do in secret. When I was in grade 10 or about to go into grade 10, God changed the story in my life. He changed a new chapter and started something new in me. I, in grade 9, grade 10, had friends in my church, in my youth group, in my small group, who played hockey, and they went and partied, and they did things that hockey guys do when they go and party. And I wanted to do them as well. I really did. I wanted to go and drink like they did. I wanted to go and do profane things with girls like they did. But at this camp at the end of grade nine, before grade 10, someone challenged me to read the Bible. And I opened the Bible up to Ecclesiastes 11.9. And God started a new chapter in my life. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Be happy, young man, while you are young. Okay, that's good. Let your heart bring you joy in the days of your youth. Cool. Follow your heart in whatever your eyes see. Getting better. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Second Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, Since we have these precious promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement, 
bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Your holiness will be stunted if you do not fear God. Christian, the best thing that you need right now, if that's you, is to let God break you with the weight of conviction of your sin. To break you so that he can revive you. Because you're probably on the stretcher and the defibrillator is out right now and God needs to shock you up out to recognize that what you're doing, he hates. But this is our purpose He has already cleansed you, but he wants you to be a trophy of his grace. So embrace your purpose and pursue God with a pure heart. But maybe you feel tired. Maybe you feel weak. Maybe you feel weary. If God has changed your life, then embrace your purpose and persevere. If you feel tired and you feel weak and you feel weary in this walk of Christian life, like the Colossians did, because there were people telling them to live a different way and it was probably confusing them, but Paul was telling them to persevere. Look back at the text with me, verse 23. It says that we will be presented in purity if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If Christ has changed your life, then embrace your purpose and persevere. How can we persevere? We can persevere by building our faith on hope. We can persevere by building our faith on hope. This passage tells us that we need to continue in faith. This idea continue in the original language has the connotation of persistence, perseverance. Like if you had a neighbor who you trusted and you gave them your spare key and you came home at 3 a.m. and you lost your original key and it's negative 15 degrees outside and all you want to do is get inside and you know the only way to get in is if you wake your neighbor up. So it's 3 a.m. and you're just knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and it's like, I know he's asleep, but he's the only way into my house. So you're going to knock and you're going to knock and you're going to knock until he gets up. That's what it means to continue. Christian, if you feel weary, if you want to change, but you haven't felt the change of, You feel like giving up and your wife has seen it but you've never said it to her or your parents have seen it but you've just tried to hide it and be the good kid that your parents think you need to be. There's hope for you and you can persevere in that hope. If you need strength, you can persevere in hope. The same security that the Colossians had and the apostle Paul had is available for you too. And it's the foundation of the hope of the gospel. And the hope of the gospel is this, that not even death can stop what Christ is doing in our life because Christ died, but then he rose from the dead. No matter what you're going through, you have hope because of Christ's resurrection. It's a secure foundation that you can build your faith on the gospel. I was curious this past week and uh, I looked online to see um, what are the most oldest, most oldest, the oldest three services. Man, my grammar goes by the end of the day. What are the oldest buildings in the city of Toronto? And this is what I found. Number three, third oldest building is this one. Anyone recognize that? It's York, Yorkville Public Library in, uh, near Bloor and Young. I've never been there. I don't know downtown. I'm a suburb kid, but... It's in Yorkville, apparently. 
Yorkville Public Library was built in 1907. It's a lot of years, like 112 years. And the same foundations that were built for this building that long ago still remain and are still sturdy today. Here's the second oldest building. This is the Enoch Turner Schoolhouse. This was built in 1848, and it's on Trinity Street. It was a school, but now kids don't meet anymore. It's a museum. But the foundations that were laid back then in 1848 still are there today. Here's the last one. This is on Adelaide Street, and it was built in 1833. This was Toronto's first post office, built in 1833. And the same foundation that was good enough in 1833 is still secure today. This is the point. No matter how weary you feel, no matter how tired you feel, the same foundation, the same security of the hope of the gospel was enough for Paul, was enough for the Colossians, is enough for you today. Paul wasn't some super Christian Billy Graham, who lived his life for 99 years preaching the gospel to millions more people around the world than any other human that's ever lived, wasn't any more of a super Christian than you did, but he could endure and get to the end of 99 years of living because he had the same foundation of hope that's available to you. William Tyndale, the English man who was the first person to translate the Bible into the common tongue, ended up being killed for it. But he believed that there would be an accessible Bible to all of the English-speaking world. And before he was killed by being burned at the stake, he cried out, God, open the king of England's eyes. And what he was killed for as a crime for translating the Bible, less than a hundred years later, the king of England commissioned the King James Version. And he could die at the stake for what he believed. Not because he's any more of a super Christian than you are, but because he could build his life on the same hope and the same foundation that can provide the same security that's available for you and it's the hope of the gospel. And you may be weary today, but God is ready to start a new chapter in your life today. You may be weary, but God is able to give you strength today, Christian You may be stuck in the impurity of your sin, but God is able to start a new chapter in your life so that you might embrace your purpose today, Christian. You may be broken in your sin, finally realizing that you are an enemy of God because of your sin, but God can forgive you and save you and start a new story and a new chapter in your life today, friend. So what new chapter does God need to write in your life today? This isn't a message for anyone else. This is a message for you. The same sun that melts the ice softens, excuse me, hardens the clay. What chapter does God need to start new in your life? Maybe you've recognized that if you stood before God's throne today, And he judged you that you would be guilty. And you're like, that's me. I need to be forgiven today. Then I would urge you, the only response you would have is believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and you will be forgiven. Maybe you've recognized today that you have been holding on to sin. 
Or, or maybe it's not that you're holding on to a specific addictive sin. You're just complacent. You're just apathetic. You've forgotten what your purpose is. And what you need to do is you need to be revived. You're like, that's me. I feel like I'm on the stretcher. The defibrillator needs to come out. God, break me so you can revive me. Is that you? God is ready to come to you and restore you. Maybe you're weary and you need to be strengthened. You're like, that's me. I need to return back to the stable and steadfast foundation of the hope of the gospel. That's me. God, strengthen me. In a moment, I'm going to pray and our band's going to come out and lead us in one last song. But I'm not going to invite you to stand for that song. I'm going to ask you to put your body in the posture that your heart is in. And maybe you're here and you're honestly stubborn and I'm calling people to, to repent and to believe and to find weary, but you're just like, I don't really care at all. That's fine, and God sees that as well. Put your body in the heart and the posture that your heart is in. It doesn't matter if other people see you. What matters is that God sees you. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you need to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you need to stand and sing, stand and sing. Doesn't matter if other people sees you, but know that God sees you. And act by faith in a way that would honor Him. Do you need to be forgiven? Do you need to be revived? Do you need to be strengthened? Let's pray now. Father in heaven, thank you for showing mercy to a wicked sinner like me. Thank you for showing grace to a wicked sinner like me. I don't deserve to come into your presence. I don't deserve to open up the scriptures. I don't deserve to sing songs to you. I don't deserve to be called a child of God. I don't deserve to be called your friend. I was just a blind man that was made to see. I'm just a crippled man who was given legs. You are the Savior. You are our Messiah. You are the Christ. You are our God. And Father, I know that we need you. I know so desperately that we need you. And maybe it's been so long that we've forgotten that we've needed you. Maybe we've been coasting in this life. God, I pray that we would turn to you and seek from you what we can only find from you. God, for those who come into this room, enemies of God, may they leave as friends because they believe in you. For those who came into this world just numb to their sin, may they leave broken and ready to be revived by you. May those who are weary leave with strength from the hope that is available in the foundation of the gospel. You are able to change us. You are able to start a new chapter in the story of our lives. Might we be people who are presented as trophies of grace that recognize you. In Jesus' name, amen.